Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Welcome to the Radioactive Show, I'm Michaela and this week we'll be taking a look at the Environmental Justice Atlas, an online tool which maps ecological conflicts and spaces of resistance. We'll also be taking a closer look at one particular case involving radioactive wastes and that is the Linus Advanced Materials Plant in Malaysia, a story that we've been following on the Radioactive Show for some time now. Matt Lowry from the Stop Linus campaign will bring us up to speed on where things are at with that issue. But first we'll be joined by Anitra Nelson, coordinator of the recently launched Australian Environmental Justice Project, who will introduce the online atlas and identify ways that people can both utilise and contribute to this mapping project, which is an initiative of EJOLT, the Environmental Justice Organisation's Liabilities and Trade. Can you just start by telling us a little bit about your work and how you got involved in the Australian Environmental Justice Project? Sure. I work at RMIT University in the Centre for Urban Research, which is part of the School of Global Studies, Social Science and Planning. And a few years ago, back in early 2012, I was visiting the University Autonomous of Barcelona um, and doing some guest lecturing for a summer school on environmental conflicts. And Juan Martinez Allier told me about a project that they just received um, European Union funding for called Environmental Justice Organisations, Liabilities in Trade. And uh, he said it was a scholar activist collaboration that they were going to setting up worldwide. They were looking at putting up an online atlas um, of uh, studies, case studies of environmental injustice throughout the world. They had over 1,480 and only one Australian one. So um, we immediately set about setting up some case studies here so now we've set it up. Uh, we're also sort of seeking funding, have a partnership with Friends of the Earth Australia, which re- really means that we're grounding the whole project and giving it a very special Australian flavour, trying to respond to what the main needs of campaigners and affected communities are here. Can you describe for our listeners what the Atlas looks like and sure. what people will find when, yeah. when they go there? The Environmental um, Justice Atlas can be found at E-J-A-T-L-A-S, ejatlas.org. And there, what you'll find initially is just a big map of the world and uh, lots of dots on countries. And now... All of the material about each of the case studies has been entered into a kind of spreadsheet and you can access like 500 and 300 word summaries of um, descriptions of what the particular case study is. But there's a lot of material which is sort of categorised. So if you go into the 
database itself, you can start to filter out the material. You can interrogate the database, as it were, and you can say search for BP Petroleum. And I think there's about 29 cases where BP Petroleum have um, been responsible for um, impacting um, in social and environmental ways on communities. So you can bring all of those case studies up and you can read them all and you can see whether that's useful for your campaign or your research. Um, the others, as I say, the filters are sort of along the basis of if it's cocoa, if it's timber, if it's fish. Then there's um, also the kind of activism that's been involved, if it's involved peasants, if it's involved workers, if it's involved lots of women, if it's involved children, if it's involved um, other kinds of you know, particular pref uh, professions like fisher folk. Um, so um, we've got someone uh, who will be working up a study and doing a particular study of the Linus Company's activities in Malaysia, and that's particularly impacted on fisher folk. Um, so you can, again, you could go into the database and you could say, check out how many commute what kinds of communities have been affected and impacted on. Um, you can do it by country, so you can bring up all of the case studies by country. Um, you can also bring up all of the kinds of protests that have involved arts activism, for instance. Um, and, yeah, different sorts of tactics that have been used. So it's really good. It's really multidimensional in the whole way that you can actually look at that system. You get this kind of really rich sense about what's happening throughout the world. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, this is the Radioactive Show, and we're speaking with Anitra Nelson about the Environmental Justice Atlas which can be found at ejatlas.org. One of the powerful things about it is the way that it visually links that material demands with hotspots of, of conflict exactly, around the world. Exactly, and it has quite um, a strong material basis, as you say, in, in making biophysical assessments. Um, Joan Martinez-Alier is um, an ecological economist and their particular um, interest is in measuring how much ore might be taken out of a particular place, you know, in contrast to somewhere else. So that, you know, um, we might be looking at bauxite, you know, how much bauxite has been taken out of the Gove Peninsula, um, how much bauxite has been taken out of Jamaica, um, and, and then um, checking in terms of what that's meant in terms of um, cost for trade, costs in terms of the environment, um, energy costs of all of that kind of thing. So actually bauxite is a really good example that gets turned into alumina and then aluminium. And, you know, people have often said the really uh, the basic material from which aluminium is made is actually electricity, you know, because when you, once you do the environmental costing of all of that, that's what's the, the really expensive thing for the earth. It's not the bauxite so much, the ore, but in the places where um, bauxite mining has occurred has been on you know areas um, 
in the area where you are through Yindi Rose, um, in the area of Yulkala there has been bauxite mining and it's completely disrupted and sort of alienated. A lot of Aborigines moved away from there decades ago and they've had a homelands bringing them back. Um, and then more recently they've actually closed down the mines altogether and these people actually have to reconcile themselves to their countries having been so badly damaged by that. Uh, all these kind of stories that you can find on the website. That mm. sounds amazing. Do you know who is using the website at the moment and, and what they're using it for? Or is it aimed at a particular demographic? What's your so, about this? Um, so we're looking at, at benefiting um, affected communities. So say, for instance, um, you were affected by some development in a local forest and you wanted to know you know more about Hancock's or whatever you know some company whoever whatever company that you find is associated with that also government departments we list the government department so in with um, forests which in Australia are often state owned um, you have a state government agency um, which will be regulating and or actually contracting out therefore actually controlling what's happening in the forest um, so what it basically means is, is that um, once we ramp it up so now we've just got a handful of case studies and really there are hundreds of case studies throughout Australia so campaigners um, and affected communities can go there and check out things like I discussed before, looking up what companies have done, what different government agencies have done and that kind of thing. And what also, and what's important about the case studies is, is that we include what there is, what kinds of campaigns people have run in their area um, whether they've achieved success, what kinds of success they've had, whether they've been illegal, whether they've gotten compensation, whether they've been able to change laws and that kind of thing. So you're able to get a lot of information. So a lot of it is about information sharing. Um, we also um, hope that through the Friends of the Earth page and through looking at eJolt, because who've, who's actually contributed, the case studies are always named and acknowledged so that um, people would be able to track back and they'd be able to contact us directly and we'd be able to give them extra information, especially next year, once we've sort of gotten a few, quite a few case studies under our belt. Um, we'll be working with Friends of the Earth campaigns in particular areas and actually get engaging a lot with um, affected communities and getting them to actually tell us how they think that the information can serve them best and that kind of thing. You know, whether we need to print out more material and actually have that available for them to distribute rather than relying on online material. And the other thing is is that um, this is kind of, it's not us putting the information out there, it's just as much us getting the information from other people, so it's people volunteering that information and us acting as a conduit to sort of, you know, try and relieve them of actually doing the case studies themselves, because people can actually go on there and do case studies themselves. Mm. Um, but um, we see our role as enabling people just to give us the, the information that's easy for us to quickly marshal it into a case study and that kind of thing, yeah. Okay, excellent. Well, if people 
do want to get involved because it sounds like there's a lot of work ahead. Um, what is the best? Yeah, well, they can thing? contact me, and my name is Anitra, Anitra Nelson. And um, so my RMIT email address is uh, anitra.nelson at rmit.edu.au. Excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us on the Radioactive Show. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network, this is the Radioactive Show. Now we're going to hear about one particular case of environmental injustice. And Nat Lowry from the Stop Blindness Campaign will join us with a bit of an update about the Australian Rare Earth Miner Blindness Corporation, who mine rare earths in remote Western Australia and ship them to Malaysia for processing at the world's largest rare earth processing plant in Kuantan. One of the serious concerns with this project is the dumping of toxic and radioactive wastes. The Linus Advanced Minerals Plant will use 720 tonnes of hydrochloric acid every day and create 28,000 tonnes of toxic waste per year, and in that waste is radioactive thorium. There are approximately 700,000 people living within a 30-kilometre radius. Nat Lowry will join us to share some inspiring stories about the types of activism that have been used in that powerful grassroots campaign. Welcome to the Radioactive Show, Nat. Can you just give a little brief overview of what the Linus Advanced Materials Plant is and where things are at with that at the moment? Yep, so in the beginning of 2011 in a lovely small town in Kuantan in Malaysia, a coastal town. Local community there found out that an Australian corporation called Linus, Linus Corporation, um, had been given the green light by the Malaysian government to build the largest rare earth refinery in the world. So the rare earths, which aren't rare in themselves, they're just not found in concentrated deposits, um, actually mined in Western Australia in um, Mount Weld, which was Linus's um, mine, and then proposed to be transported all the way across to Malaysia to this new refinery in Kuantan. Um, the community hadn't been consulted at all. They didn't know about it. And this was also just after Fukushima. So the thing with rare earths is the processing of rare earths the byproduct includes radioactive waste, um, like thorium, but also other toxics as well. So the community very quickly, and these were regular people who had not really considered themselves environmentalists, became very concerned and um, really tried to get answers. And in that time, they contacted a few of us in Australia to start looking at what was really happening. And so between 2011 and now, um, there's been a mass movement in Malaysia against Linus. Um, it's probably the biggest environmental issue, environmental justice issue in Malaysian history. And um, myself and my colleague Tully and a couple of other people, particularly Lee Tan, who connected us in the first place, she's Australian but born and bred in Kuantan, um, have been trying to build awareness in Australia but also support the movement in Malaysia um, in any way that we could. 
I guess that's a sort of overview. Rare earths mm. in themselves are um, used in a lot of what is called green technologies, but they're also in our mobile phones, our computers, the screens we have, all the touch screen technology that's rare earths. They're also in wind turbines, electric cars. So there is a good use of them, but the concern is that the processing is toxic. And China holds about 85% of the market and the, the environmental devastation in China from various processing is really, really bad. And I think this is what the concern is now. It's moving, moving out of China and in a place like Malaysia where they don't have a strong history of environmental regulation um, or human rights as well. Um, of course, people across Malaysia were deeply concerned about this Australian company exporting toxic legacy in their communities. This is the Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network, and we're speaking with Nat Larry about the Stop Linus campaign. And do you know why Linus has chosen to process these sands in Malaysia? Because there's no way that they would have been approved in Australia on their very weak and flimsy environmental impact assessments. Yeah. Um, and it would it, it, there's, there's a money factor in there as well. It would have cost them a lot more money. It would have taken a lot longer to to um, get up. But there is um, another rare earth development happening in Dubbo. And so we really need to, in Australia, go, if we're going to dig up rare earth, this is what we're going to do, then we do have to take the responsibility of processing it here and not dumping it on our neighbours. In Kuantan, who is being most uh, impacted by the processing and the and the toxic waste? Well, I guess, so because the, and I guess it's a testament to grassroots movements and just, you know, everyday people coming together, because Linus has been, it was held off for a very long time through legal cases, um, and they are up and running, but they're very much um, on a tightrope right now. Their share price, is very low, below four cents, and it's been a downward spiral since it, it, they had a high of two dollars fifty in two thousand eleven. So it's real again. It's sort of evidence of corporations thinking they can walk in, make deals behind closed doors, and not consult and get consent from local communities. And we see this over and over again. That eventually it bites them in the bum, and. We've gone to all their shareholder meetings since 2011 and they have stated a couple of times that our biggest mistake was not consulting with local community. Mm. And that's kind of where they're at now. There's a few other reasons why Linus is suffering and, and I would say Linus is probably going to go bust. What's usually not in the media and not in you know your financial news is that the sustained grassroots activism and movement in Malaysia has had a huge impact um, and Linus knows that and they're really scraping the barrel now. The only reason they're surviving is through this massive debt they have with investors in Japan. What types of activism have been employed in this campaign and if you can identify particular tactics that have been particularly successful? In all honesty, it's been incredibly inspiring as an Australian-based campaigner activist who have had the privilege and honour of working with people in Malaysia. Um, 
I, I, in my time of campaigning, which has been, you know, 15 years or something now, I haven't probably experienced or been part of such a dynamic, very large movement. And it's included a range of things, a lot of on-the-ground grassroots going town by town. So one example is there's a couple of groups. One of them is called Himpanan Hijau, which basically means Green Assembly. And one of their sort of leaders um, by the name of Wong Tak decided to walk from Kuantan to Kuala Lumpur over 13 days through all these towns to talk to people, to educate them on what was happening and that this issue was bigger than just Kuantan. This was, this was an issue for all Malaysians. So he walked for 13 days. By the time he walked in, and when he left, he just had a handful of people. By the time he walked into Kuala Lumpur, there were 20,000 people walking with him. We're speaking with Nat Lowry from the Stop Linus campaign about the situation with an Australian company who are effectively exporting their radioactive wastes to Malaysia. This is the Radioactive Show, heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. So that sort of, you know, people rallied and a lot of young people rallied behind as well. Um, they did a two and a half thousand bicycle ride around Malaysia as well. Um, this was last year actually before a lead up to um, a mass protest outside the Linus refinery that both myself and Tally McIntyre from Australia went to. And this is quite new in Malaysia. In Australia, we employ a lot of direct action and non-violent direct action and, you know, mass sort of mobilisation. In Malaysia, this is not a common thing because there's been so much repression for so long. So these people are willing to die for, you know, like literally I've witnessed them talking to police saying, this is going to ruin our children's future. This is going to damage our waterways. It's going to damage our food. You know, we will die fighting. So they feel like they've got nothing to lose, I guess. And so last year, a 1,000 people after... About 20 people cycled around Malaysia. They joined, came in, and there was walkers that came from Kuala Lumpur as well. So there was another six-day walk from Kuala Lumpur, which is about 300 kilometres. And on that walk was a man who had one leg. He walked it in six days in crutches. And when I sat with him, he's from Kuala Lumpur. He's not from Kuantan. When I sat with him and I said, why are you doing this walk? He said, because I was born with one leg and the Malaysian government does not look after people with disabilities. What's going to happen when this plant and radioactive waste goes into our food chains and we start to see, you know, children with missing limbs and other deformities? Where's the Malaysian government going to be to look after them? So it became a bigger issue than just Linus. Um, And that's what was quite interesting, how many people felt so connected to this issue um, that there were... sick and tired of the government and corporations making deals behind closed doors and not listening to Malaysian people and what they wanted. So on the 22nd of June last year, 1,000 people gathered outside the Linus refinery. So it was a large gathering and it was very peaceful, um, very colourful, it was very festive-like. And over about a two-hour period, there was a set of negotiations between um, people within Himpanan Hijau, the police, and also the management of Linus. And basically for Himpanan Hijau and all the people that arrived, the reason they were there was to shut the plant down. 
it got a little heated. Police started to come in and pull some people, and I witnessed a man be beaten quite badly. He was hospitalised for two days. And when that happened, um, Wong Tak, one of the people on Pintanan Head Jail, stood forward and told everyone to be peaceful, and he then sat on the ground. And there was nine of us, including myself, that chose to sit peacefully with him across the police line, and then we, we all got arrested. Um, that's quite a new thing in Malaysia for anyone to take that sort of action, a very peaceful action. Um, I was personally detained for six days, and they were threatening me with two years jail. The 15 people that I was arrested with are still facing trial. There's a year later, they're still going through that process. So they are up against a government that is really willing to do a lot of things to repress people. And I think my admiration for um, the movement to stand up and say, we don't want this, we don't want a foreign company in here, you know, that's going to leave someday and leave us with all this toxic waste um, when... There's not the proper monitoring, there's not the proper regulation. Mm. For people who aren't yet involved in the campaign, what actions or involvement can they take at, at this point or if people want to find out a bit more about it? We have a website here in Australia called stoplinus.org. I guess one thing people can do in Australia is um, understand and learn a bit more about rare earths and also start questioning why we're continuing to dig up more minerals um, and this is one of the arguments we talk about is we have all this technology that's um, not designed to last long so it becomes disposable so an example of e-waste then gets sent overseas to China to India but what's inside our computer our phones are minerals are gold rare earths so why aren't we creating an economy where we can design from the cradle to the grave and extract and recycle, it's what they call urban mining, and recycle these minerals and reuse them instead of continuously trying to plunder the earth. We really should be able to create more closed loops around our products and really start looking at creating um, industry and economies around recycling. We'd be creating a lot more jobs and we would be definitely um, helping the environment and also not, you know, land grabbing for these big developments and displacing people or putting people at great risk with their health and their well-being and livelihoods um, and their spiritual and cultural practices. Thanks for tuning in and a big thank you to Anitra Nelson and Nat Lowry for joining us this week. The Radioactive Show was produced in the studios of 3CR in Collingwood, Victoria on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri Nation and it's important to remember that sovereignty was never ceded. I hope you enjoyed this show and if you have any feedback or questions please email us on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com you can find us and the links to topics covered on the show on our Facebook page. And if you'd like to check out the Linus campaign, go to stoplinas.org. And for the Environmental Justice Atlas, go to ejatlas.org. And I encourage you to help build this fantastic online resource, as there's certainly a lot of content from Australia that we hope to add. Please join us again next week for more news on nuclear peace and energy issues.